0: Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. I'm Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. And as you can see, I've got someone else with me here today. This is Michael Martin. If you have been kind of following along, you probably know that we are actively on the loop now. So we are going to do one of our How We Found Our Great Loop Boat segments. So I have cajoled Michael into doing this with me. And we're going to tell the story of how he found his Great Loop Boat. Um, we may have shared this before, but he has actually been aboard the perch since 2017. So I'm the newcomer to the boat. So 2016. 2016 thank you. We're officially looper couple now, <laughs> <I think that's laughs> correcting good. each other on just small details of the story. So anyway um so let's talk about the perch first of all why don't you tell us what kind of boat is the perch
1: the perch is a 2001 silverton 410 sport bridge
0: and in layman's terms really what does Sportbridge mean is that just a model name or does that describe some of the characteristics of the boat
1: to the best of my knowledge it's just a model name that silverton put onto the boat it's a sedan style boat which means that most of the accommodations are forward rather than aft it doesn't have an aft cabin like a lot of typical looper boats to do it just has the uh, cockpit on the back right into the salon
0: so it's it's kind of an easy boarding boat because we walk right from the dock onto the swim platform into the cockpit and then right on without a whole lot of steps very much so so that it's convenient for entering the salon. There are some steps other places because of that. But before we get to that, uh, go ahead and give us some of the purchase specifications. You mentioned she was a 4'10", but, you know, talk about beam, air draft, water draft, things like that.
1: Uh, she's 41 feet model length, uh, 46 feet uh, length overall. Um, beam is just over 14 feet. Draft is just under 4 feet at 3'10". Uh, air draft, I believe last time I measured it was 17, eight, uh, or, or I usually round up air draft 18 feet. So I've got a little bit extra cushion there. Um, she is powered by two twin Cummins, uh, 8.3 liter, 450 horsepower diesel gas guzzling engines, uh, has a eight kilowatt generator that provides all the power. Um I think that's pretty much the guts of it.
0: Yes, and we'll we'll come back to the the fuel guzzling engines in a little bit because that of course is a big issue for many right now with fuel prices where they are. But let let's talk a little bit more about, you know, thinking back 5 years to or 6 years when you decided to buy the perch. Um, kind of an unusual situation. You're not a retiree. You were uh, looping solo at that time. And why at that time in your life did you decide it was the right time for you to go out and buy a boat for the Great Loop? Were you already a yacht broker at that point?
1: Yes, I had already joined Curtis, uh, joined Curtis in 2013. So I'd been with Curtis for several years, um, learned about the loop. Um prior to joining Curtis, as well as learned a lot more about it, obviously, with his sponsorship of the Great Loop um, after I joined, but uh, decided very quickly that I wanted to focus on the Great Loop as kind of my niche. Um, I, I enjoy the people, I enjoy the route, I enjoy just the whole the whole scenario. So um, in 2016, um, when I bought the boat, I had been to a couple rendezvous, you know, just uh, like most loopers, going and, and seeing the rendezvous and doing the rendezvous. Um, in 2014, at one of the rendezvous, I had my mother pass unexpectedly. And then a few months later, I had uh, a motorcycle accident that, you know, out of nowhere pretty much, uh, you know, could have ended my life. And I just decided that, you know, it's, it's time. I, I've seen people at rendezvous who've missed out on this opportunity and i didn't want to do that
0: yeah so not your typical how we found our great loop boat story because you were already pretty deep in the thick of things for looping um, and decided the time was right for you so your search was probably then a bit different than most loopers so so how did it work for someone who's a yacht broker who specializes in the great loop to go out and find a boat for himself for the Great Loop also keeping in mind that you knew you were going to have to be working while doing the loop and that you would be looping mostly solo so lots of different parameters on finding the boat so how did you go about doing that?
1: Um, I told a lot of main ships uh, to other loopers and kind of expected that that was going to be the loop boat for me just because it seemed like a very good boat but um, working with other individuals and getting on all different types of boats, aft cabins, motor sailors, uh, catamarans, motor yachts of all different flavors, um, I could easily see myself being on any one of them. Um, the perch specifically uh, a client had asked me to come and look at this boat for him, and I think we did a video. I sent him a video of the boat, and uh, he decided that it wasn't the boat for him, but I felt it was the boat for me, so um, I made an offer on the boat and uh, got it that way. So,
0: And of course, she was not called the perch at that time, um, and we'll probably, I think, get into why she is now called the perch, Um But so what was it about this boat, the, you know, the Silverton 410 Sport, Sport Bridge? Is that what you called it? Sport Bridge. Thank you. The Silverton 410 Sport Bridge that made you decide for someone who's been on many, many boats, what made you say, this is it? This is my looping boat. Um,
1: a couple things primarily. Uh, it's, it's a full beam motor yacht, so you have the entire beam of the boat, all 14 foot 3 inches of interior space throughout the whole boat, which really for a 41 foot boat provided a lot of internal living space Um, probably one of the key features that i found on this boat that um, i hadn't seen on a whole lot of other boats i actually saw just the opposite on most boats was that most boats had a down galley where the galley is several steps down from the salon level and in some cases it's very set off from uh, the rest of the boat um, and I, that was definitely not something that i i liked uh, the main ships that i was looking at had the galley and salon pretty much in the same room so it was a little, again a little bit different the the key feature here on this boat was the galley up which um you know most of the motor yachts have big forward facing windows and a you know big atrium but when the galley is down those windows are well above your head so you can't really see out them um, on this boat, when you go up into the galley, you're looking straight out the front windows, and it's a great view.
0: It is a great view, and that is what has become my office. So <laughs> I am very fortunate that you chose that galley-up configuration because I get to work there in that um, that atrium kind of area. It's a beautiful view, and in Marathon, I was just staring out at the beautiful water day after day, so Really kind of a nice feature. Um, you've mentioned that, of course, it, the Silverton is a motor yacht where a lot of loopers use trawlers. And you know I think there's still um, kind of a thought out there that most loopers are on trawlers. I really don't think that that's the case anymore. I really um, particularly kind of looking around at our events more and more motor yachts are out there. Now we may see that to start to flip with fuel prices going up. Um, but it's not uncommon to be doing the loop on a motor yacht. But for you, um, in your job, since it requires you to travel, aside from your looping travels, requires you to travel to preview boats for, boats for clients, to take clients to personally inspect boats for surveys. Um, your days on the loop... Um, We're much fewer, (laughs) I guess, is a good way to put that than many. When you were on the boat, you needed to travel fast from point A to point B so that you could work in the afternoons when you got there. And then you needed to stay a little bit ahead of pace so that you could fly out to work and leave the boat for a week at a time or sometimes more. So your travel was a little bit faster, hence the motor yacht becomes important. Tell us a little bit kind of, you know, the the cruising speed of the Silverton, and, and we mentioned the fuel The fuel she uses. Um, So go ahead and kind of give us that information from your first loop.
1: Uh, From my first loop, um, I was pretty much on plane anywhere I could be on plane you know, obviously respecting no wake zones and places where you really have to be aware of your wake. And so I didn't, you know, damage anything. Um, but anywhere I could be on plane, I was on plane and typically I was near wide open, if not wide open, um, at wide open speed, I was doing 24, 25 knots. And it sounds like it's, you know, so fast, but that's literally only a, about 25 miles an hour, but um, at 25 miles an hour, I was burning 34 gallons an hour. So at $4 a a gallon of today's fuel, it's very easy to do the math as to how much that would have cost. Um, I tried uh, eight knots for a tank. I tried nine knots for a tank. I tried 10 knots for a tank. I went up onto plane and tried 16, 17 knots for a tank. There really wasn't that great of a difference uh, that I was willing to slow down for to save fractions of, of a you know a dollar per gallon, a uh, mile per gallon. Um, some of my worst days were 0.7 miles to the gallon, and some of my best days were one mile to the gallon. So it really wasn't enough to me. If I wanted to get somewhere, cover a lot of ground, get off the water and be able to work or travel, it, it made sense to me.
0: Yeah, And those numbers are still mind-boggling to me, mostly because um, I hear loopers all the time talk about the sweet spot on fuel and that by slowing down by two knots, they uh, cut in half their fuel usage. Um, and I keep trying to understand where that spot is for the perch, and she doesn't seem to have it. Um, we are going slower than you did the first time, so i trying to be a little bit more conservative on the fuel burn and, and still frankly, still trying to find that sweet spot. Um, But back to that first loop, when you're going around rather quickly, you still did it in the same time frame from start to finish as most loopers, but your travel days were much fewer. We get the question a lot, um, how much of the loop can you do on plane? And it's a hard question to answer because there are some areas like South Florida where there's lots of no wakes, um, but then other areas like the rivers where there's not a whole lot out there. And as long as you're not you know doing damage to the shoreline with your wake there's no reason you can't go on plane could you hazard hazard a guess as to what percentage of the loop overall you were able to to be up on plane
1: um i really couldn't throw a percentage at it or anything Uh, all i can tell you is i was underway for 65 days and i did a, on average, about 200 gallons a day, um, which means I was moving most days. Um, I only remember a, a very few day, few days that were, you know, I think one, one of them was 14 miles and I just wanted to die because it was such a short length of time and it took me all day to go 14 miles. I think that was in somewhere in Canada or maybe Lake Erie, Erie Canal, but um, my average days were well over a hundred miles. So, you know, I was moving most days, a good, a good pace for yeah. most of the day.
0: And, and that point where there was a day where you only went 14 miles, that is the other thing that makes it very hard to predict how much you can be on plane is you don't ever know what kind of a weight you'll have at locks and, and sometimes it bridges as well. So I, I get that question and I kind of go, it's just so hard to answer that. So it probably was not fair that I asked you that question <laughs> because I know it's not really an answerable question. Um, but then the other thing, you know, somewhat unusual about this boat, about a motor yacht for somebody who's looping, A good bit of the time solo it's it's kind of an unusual choice so share with us your thoughts on that and and let me kind of frame that if you haven't considered how somebody would loop solo a lot of the smaller tugs are pretty popular because they're just smaller and easier to manage and a lot of them have um doors on both sides so you can get right from the helm immediately out to handle lines or at least one side um the perch is not that way <laughs> um, and just for anyone who has not seen her um, you know from the cockpit you have to go up four or five stairs to the flybridge and then from the flybridge you have to go down another two or three to get to the walkways that take you to the bow of the boat so there are a lot of stairs outside that as the line handler you're going up and down a lot of them so i have often tried to envision how i would do that if i was also the person handling the boat and I failed to see how that works. <laughs> you, however, managed to do that. So, you know, what was your thought process when you were considering this boat? And how did you manage to, to do things like lock through when you were solo?
1: Well, I didn't consider it when I bought the boat. I, I liked the boat, so I bought the boat. I figured, uh, you know, I, I would figure all that out later. And I did. Um Probably one of the biggest things with looping solo was you had to have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and you might as well be thinking of a plan D because you, you really do need to plan ahead. Um, you've got to plan for both roles, line handler and captain, so you've got to be able to do both simultaneously On in some cases. Uh, the Silverton uh, is very unique in the fact that it is um, all of its walkways are up high. Uh, they call them sidewalks, Silverton names them sidewalks, but uh, you basically go out the wings uh, of the flybridge and you have ramps down to the bow. Uh, so the flybridge sits up very high. Um, looping solo, a lot of the times I was doing things at the mid- midship. Now, I didn't have a midship cleat, but I was you know handling lines from the midship. Uh, doing things from the midship kept allowed me to keep the boat tight against a wall or a dock so that the nose or the stern couldn't, you know, wiggle away from me. Um, but what that also did was uh, if I was in a lock where the bollard was, say, down at normal trawler deck level, I was throwing the line down, uh, trying to get it onto a dock. If I was going to a floating dock, I was trying to loop that mid midship line around a cleat that was 10, 12 feet below me. Uh, so, there were some challenges to that, but um, again, just good planning, being ready. Um, I would always drape lines before going into a marina If there was somebody who could help, they could grab the lines because I had them all draped if they If there was nobody to help, you know, I would be out on them I'd get it as close as I can, go out to the midship, throw the line around the cleat, and pull us in. Uh, Once I had that one line, I could pretty much do anything else I needed to. Mm -hmm. Uh, I could then go to the stern or the bow and get lines done there. But uh, the midship line was was the key to me.
0: Is there any special equipment on the perch that made any of that easier? You know, there are the dockmate systems that, you know, basically a joystick you can walk around with. um, Bow thruster, stern thruster, any of that that helped you along the way?
1: None of it. No, no no bow thrusters, no stern thrusters. Um, As I tell most of my clients who buy boats with all that stuff, please learn to operate the boat without all that stuff because they're going to be the first things that fail. Um, once you know how to run the boat with twin engines, you can put the boat just about anywhere you want. And I can only remember a handful, less than a handful of times, two or three times that I didn't make my approach on the first try and I had to go out and do it again, or, you know, just, just reset and, and try again. Uh, but they were very few because I learned how to manage the boat with what it had. Um, if I would have had bow thrusters, sure, that would have significantly helped, Um, but it's also that key piece of equipment that you rely on and get too, too, um, uh, complacent with that when it does fail or a stick gets jammed or you overheat it or whatever the case may be, you still have to know how to run the boat.
0: The other thing that you've mentioned that was helpful, um, and I, I want to bring this up because I think it's a lesson to any loopers, whether they're solo or not, is that kind of explaining your situation to lockmasters or to dockmasters on the way in um, tended to, to, to get them on your side. <laughs> um, you know, tell us a little bit about how you would go about that and, and how that worked with lockmasters in particular when you communicated to them that you were solo and here's what you would like to do as you're coming, coming in.
1: Uh, in some cases, they can't do a whole lot to to help you like with a a floating bollard they really can't tell you other than you know it's a floating bollard so you know what to be aware for um in some cases where they have to throw you a line or something along those lines it it was helpful that they knew that i was single-handed um i could just turn you know walk right off the bridge to to the side deck and grab a line that they threw down and you know tie it off to my my handrails just to keep me secure for a few minutes um but they were it was very helpful um to let them know especially in marinas that i was single-handed because they'd bring out an extra hand you know they'd bring out two dock hands instead of just one um because they knew i wasn't necessarily going to be throwing lines because i was behind the wheel so and again that goes back to planning and draping the lines you know i draped a bow line a midship and an aft line every time had fenders ready if i knew where i was going and uh you know that they they could just grab those very easily
0: yeah and and for new loopers i mean i think that just goes to prove that dockmasters, masters lock masters they're they're really on your side and if you tell them for the most part <laughs> if you tell them hey i'm kind of new to this or i haven't really done a lot of docking in this kind of current before they're going to get you some extra help out there so i think it's important that you know just be upfront Absolutely. about your skill level and in your comfort level um so I want to talk a little bit more about the configuration of the perch and why you chose her and how she works for you. And I think uh, some of y'all can probably hear some background noise. That would be Margot right now. Margot is Michael's umbrella cockatoo. Um, so yes, there is a bird aboard, hence the name The Perch that all starts to make sense for people now. Um, but you knew from the start that margo was going to be your looping companion so tell us how that factored into your decision on the silverton 410
1: um boarding the silverton 410 for the first time right away it became obvious to me where i could put margo's cage Uh, on a lot of boats um that was not the case the main ship really didn't have a great place for margo's cage um you know, unless I got up into some of the much bigger boats, there just wasn't the room. Uh, on the perch, there was a uh, recliner and a small bar with two bar stools that I really pretty much figured I would never use. So I rotated the chair 90 degrees and put the bar stools in storage and it made the perfect place for Margo to sit. She has a beautiful side view window that she looks out and she's looked out that window now for eight or 9,000 miles and watched the world go by. So she seems to enjoy it. Um, And, you know, they're not like dogs and cats where they'll just curl up anywhere. They really have to have a dedicated cage, and her cage is substantial.
0: Yes, it is substantial. (laughs) Um, But so... The salon is sizable, as you mentioned, it's the full beam of the boat, and that's what gives Margot her space, and that's something we tell a lot of loopers who are looking for their boat is, you know, consider what you, what and who (laughs) you need to bring with you, and the space that that requires. We've had people with hobbies like weaving looms that needed a space, and people, um, you know, with special pet requirements. Um, So that made a difference for you. You talked about the galley up kind of walk us through the rest of the interior of the perch what other features does she have
1: one of the other things that i really like about the perch is that the uh, accommodations are all underneath the galley and forward um when sitting in the salon like we are tonight there's just a small walkway off to the starboard side that just slips away and goes down and uh, it's only a couple of steps so it's nothing you know that uh, you have to go up or down a, a whole ton of steps the only big amount of steps is on the flybridge um so interior wise it's very easy to move around Uh, as you go down that walkway you've got the uh head and vanity in one room on the starboard side across from that is the uh, second spare bedroom or storage room uh for for us people who uh don't have a lot of visitors um between and then the master is is in the bow uh between the master and the guest stateroom there's another small room that houses the shower so that can be accessed from either of the two rooms um so that while it is a one head boat and i'll all config, you configure know, in, in the way you say the boat uh, talk about the boat um this the fact that those two pieces are split up almost makes it like two heads where somebody can be showering and somebody can be in the head um, doing whatever they need to be doing. Um, so it really does give you the ability to use both spaces at the same time, right. a head that has a shower stall in it.
0: Right. And I think our circumstances have been a little bit different with storage space because I moved onto a boat that was already full. <laughs> so it wasn't wasn't a matter of a couple buying a boat and moving all their stuff on it together. And you've been very kind and generous with making some space for my stuff, but the um, the Silverton really does have a lot of space, and I think a lot of boats have this. But the the full queen walk around berth does have full storage underneath that bed, so there's plenty of drawer space, um, you know, plenty of locker space. Um, it really does really swallow up a lot of <laughs> a lot of shoes and <laughs> other items that I may or may not have brought aboard with me. <laughs> um, but we've got some creative storage some things that you built in um that i think we'll cover in another video at some point and just kind of show some of that that handiwork and some of the things that you can add if you're looking to create some more space um are there any features of the perch that we've you know kind of missed talking about
1: uh probably the only two things that we haven't talked about is engine room access which is through the the uh sole here in the salon there's two hatches there's one that's kind of an everyday hatch that you can go up and down and just do your daily checks and then you can remove both hatches if you really need to get in there and get serious uh the other thing is i i call it the basement but it's the lazarette of the boat and uh it's in the cockpit obviously um when you open the hatch it's kind of deceiving because there's a tray in there that you can lift out and most people just wouldn't even realize that that's you know that there's something more to that but once you lift the tray out you could actually drop down into the stern of the boat four or five feet Um, and that's where the holding tank is fuel tank retractable power line uh, all the steerage all that kind of stuff and a good amount of storage
0: yeah it it really is um pretty cavernous down there in fact we keep a dock cart in there and it also fits um, two Adirondack-style folding chairs and a table, and there's a little stepladder down there. I was in there today, and I was like, wow! <laughs> I didn't realize we had stuffed all of this down there. So that is very spacious, the basement. Um, and I call the garage, the, the compartment on the back where we keep the spare um, electrical cord and hoses. So lots of storage space, um, lots of windows here in the salon and in the galley. Um, from my perspective, the thing that I would change is there's really, it's a great boat for the two of us, and it's fine when we have guests, which we have had a couple of times, up to two guests, you know, for a few days. Um, it's not a great entertaining boat for just having a couple of people over for Docktails or dinner. Um Margo. Mm, a little bit um, but the, the nice thing I think I learned pretty quickly is that some of the people with the larger boats or even the boats that are the same size but configured differently are usually more than happy to host those things um, so that is always nice and it actually works out okay um, I am a big uh, as you know <laughs> a big HGTV watcher so I get in here all the time it's a t- 2001 yes. boat um, so she's 20 years old at this point and there's certainly you know, I I go into some other boats that have done some extensive remodeling um, and I think you know some of them that I'm talking about and it makes me want to come in here and start, oh, you know, the black sinks are kind of outdated. Let's redo that. Um, And then I I, I settle down and, and (laughs) you know, realize that um, she's just fine the way she is and who knows what's next for us after this loop. There may be a different boat in our future. Um, So... It doesn't necessarily make sense to start doing extensive cosmetic remodels um, when she's really just fine and I think I've said it before but there's the saying that it's better to have friends with boats (laughs) than to actually have a boat and and I I had the um, good fortune to be able to walk into this boat and, and you know you've been kind enough to let me make it my own although there still are not enough throw pillows on the boat that is our that's going to be our point of contention. Um, but she works for us. And, and I think that's the other kind of looper adage is sometimes the best boat is the boat you have. And, um, you know, this is ideal for what we're doing along with Margot, Do you want to bring Margot over? Yeah, sure. There was a, a time when if the two of us sat this close together on the sofa here, Margot would crawl across the floor and come running over because she is a little bit possessive of Michael. Um, so here she is. She's kind of blending into your shirt. Say hi. Say hi. <laughs> so that's Margot. That is um, our third. Cr-
1: she doesn't realize she's on camera. She probably can't even really make herself aware that she's seeing herself. She's but.
0: <laughs> but, any other uh, thoughts? You know, comments, uh, particularly as somebody who sees a whole lot of looper boats. Um, you know, any other thoughts about the Silverton? What makes her? a great looping boat or what what might make her not perfect for some people
1: not specifically um a lot of loopers obviously like the aft cabins they like the uh separation of guest and master stateroom at either end of the boat so um the sedan version of the motor yacht doesn't seem to be as popular and and silverton doesn't seem to be as popular um i've seen a few of them out here on the loop but um for the most part they're just not a very popular boat and they do have an aft cabin version just doesn't seem to be that popular um the main ships are a very similar sedan and they are very popular so it's it's really a, a mix uh, you know i think the most of the silver or most of the main ship owners are really doing it as a couple so you know they don't mind the fact that the master is in the bow and you know that they have a separation of the two staterooms or not because they're just doing it by themselves so um sorry bird attack um but no, this 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 boat works uh, for loopers. It it, w- it should work for loopers. Um, there's really no reason why it can't. Obviously, I've done my loop and we're we're doing it again. So, um, I think it's a good boat. I think it's built well. Um, it's certainly not a Fleming, but it's it's not uh, the lowest quality either. So, um, it's a very nice nice built boat.
0: Well, and and similar to some of the features that are popular about the main ships is. Um, you know, molded stairs, there's no ladders in this boat, um, and it is the full walk-around master berth, um, so nobody's climbing over anybody in the middle of the night. The extra stateroom is, that's not the case, um, and that's okay, because we rarely have guests, and, and our, our guests are typically our 20-something-year-old children who are used to sleeping on floors <laughs> and other places like that, so they're just happy to have a mattress. So... um yeah, I think that is the story of how you uh, found and acclimated yourself and Margot, and subsequently me to the perch. Um, so thank you for sharing the details. We appreciate the information. It's my pleasure. And to everyone who has watched and listened this episode, we'll be back again next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Capable Cruising offers taste of the loop cruises. Scott and Karen are both training captains who will welcome you aboard their 40-foot motor yacht. With a mix of training and cruising fun, they strive to show you what the Looper lifestyle is like. Four- and five-day cruises are available in Fort Myers, Florida. For more information, go to www.capablecruising.com.